You're listening to Meaningless, a year-long series of sermons from the book of Ecclesiastes from Holy Cross Presbyterian Church in Stanton, Virginia. Ecclesiastes is an honest look at where we as people seek to find our meaning, money, work, pleasure, success, even religion. The book unmasks them as meaningless, not because they aren't good things, but because they weren't intended to be ultimate things. We were made for God. When we return to Him through the reconciling life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all of those things are filled with the meaning only He can give. If you don't have a Bible with you, the text is in your order of worship, in that little trifold thing that you've got. If, um, if you don't own a Bible, there's one on the back table. I want to give that to you. That's our gift to you. But we'd love for you to have the scripture in front of you as, as we go through it this morning. Let me remind us what we're doing. Meaningless, meaninglessness, uh, however you want to put it, is a, is a refrain in our culture today. It is a refrain that drives our incessant hunger for more, for more stuff, for more money, for more power, for more relationships, for more pleasure, for more success. For more, more, more. We are searching. But friends, this is not a 21st century problem as if Americans made this up, right? I know we believe that Americans made up most things. We, we didn't make this one up. It's a human thing. And that's why we've been exploring this notion through the book of Ecclesiastes, seeing that our, our writer's constant refrain has been exactly the same. It's meaningless. This is meaningless. But when he says that, and some of you will remember this, what he doesn't mean is that these things, whether it's work or pleasure or, or um, significance, what, what have you, that these things are pointless. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean they're pointless. He doesn't mean they're worthless. He means something that appears to have substance that do, but doesn't. Something that seems to be able to hold weight but can't. It's, it's the same word in the original, in the, in the Hebrew that's used for, um, for vapor, for breath. It's like uh, as if you're... you're on a brisk fall morning, and you walk outside, and you, you can see your breath, and it looks like it should be able to hold something, but you go to grab it, and there's nothing, right? In other words, he's saying that these things are, some, they are things that can't deliver on their promises. So what is it that can't deliver? Well, we've looked at several things. I've mentioned some of them already. We looked at, we looked at significance first, right? Seeing that trying to matter in the world can't deliver, because at the end, we're, we're all going to be forgotten. Sad but true. We looked at wisdom, seeing that, that the idea of wisdom being that we want to we try and be able to predict outcomes in the world because we think the world is basically a, a machine, and it isn't. We looked at pleasure, seeing that pleasure is never enough to get us back to the existence that we intuitively know we were made for. And last week, we looked at responsibility to see that even when we make all of the, the, the quote-unquote right decisions, that they can never answer our greatest problem because it, it can never deal with the source of that problem. And this week we look to work. Can our labor, our job, our career, our success bring us the meaning we're looking for? So if you have your place in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're, we're going to be in chapter 2, the last few verses. If you stand, as our habit here, in honor of God's Word, we're going to be reading verses 24 through 26. As we do this, let me lay out a little reminder for all of us that what we're about to read is God's Word. If, if you are here to hear helpful hints from Rick, you are wasting your time. Okay, the, Those are not worth hearing. Trust me, I, I go through them daily. They're not worth it. We are here because God's Word lays claim on us. 
and it lays claim for our good. This is, what, this is God's very word. I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? All his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Friends, this is God's word given that we might flourish. Would you pray with me briefly? Father, thank you for this time. A bunch of different people in this room, Lord. We're all here because you called us here for various reasons. Some of us are already bored and thinking about what we're going to do for lunch. Others of us are eager and expectant. Um, some of us are just busy. We're just busy. Wherever we are, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would meet us. Let Jesus and his cross come forward. Let things that are of Rick fall to the back. And Lord, make yourself known. Because what everyone in this room needs to hear today, the speaker especially, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let it, let it come forward, we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Have a seat. I'm not much of a statistics guy, but let me give you a few recent ones. Okay, some things I came across this week as I was thinking about this. In July, the APA, which is the American Psychiatric Association, they, they conducted a scientific survey and found the following. 77% of the people asked said they regularly experienced physical symptoms caused by stress. 77%. A third of those polled said that they are living with extreme stress, and half of those polled said that their stress has increased over the last five years and that they lie awake at night due to their stress. The same study found that $300 billion per year are spent by employers in stress-related health care and missed work for their employees. The number one cause of stress cited in this study, the, the cause that 76% of those asked said was the leading cause of their stress, work. Their work. It says a lot, doesn't it? I think mainly what it highlights is our utter ambivalence towards work. Because on the one hand, uh, on the one hand, we, we don't like it. I mean, how else are you to explain something that causes you, causes you that much stress? We're not going to say, well, man, that's really a joy to lie awake at night and not be able to fall asleep. I just love doing that. Like, I love Monday morning, you know. That, uh, at, on the other hand, we clearly can't leave it, right? Because something that we don't care about doesn't cause us stress. I mean, if you don't care about something, it's not going to stress you out. You don't, you don't really care. So what is going on with us when it comes to our work? Because we are both overworked and undersatisfied. How are we supposed to interpret this? Our teacher today, the teacher in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, as he's called the preacher in some of the points in the book, looks at this issue of work and finds that what we want to get from it, it can never come. It is ultimately meaningless. So we're going to look at this text in three ways. As always, uh, there's an outline in your bulletin. If you're new with us this morning, you can use that outline. If not, just leave it where, it's, where it lays, right? But we're going to look at the failure to last, the failure to deliver, and the freedom to work. Okay? The failure to last, the failure to deliver, and then the freedom to work. All right, let's get to this text. If you're looking at the passage, which, which is, you know, 18 through 23, it divides up neatly into, into two 
more or less equal sections. And, and, it, and it deals with the two problems that our teacher finds as he looks at work to provide meaning for him. The first is, is dealt with in verses 18 to 21, and that is that it fails to last. Look down at verses 18 to 19. He says basically this. I hated all my toil because I had to leave it to somebody, and I'm not sure if that dude's a moron or not. Like, that, that's basically what he says. And it, trust me, it's in the original. All right, so he says this. L- let me say a couple things about this. Before we actually get to those verses, did you notice how many times this guy said toil in this passage? Maybe, maybe you weren't listening. He says, th- he says this nine times in six verses. Nine times he's talking about the word toil. Toil. Now, toil isn't exactly a positive word choice, right? I mean, if you're married, when you come home, you know, your spouse isn't like, honey, how was your toil today? You know, how, how was your toiling? You know, that's, that's not the word we use. It, it's a word that gives negative connotation. And, and so as he's even using this word nine times, begins to flavor how we're supposed to think about uh, this concept of work. Literally in the original, that word toil means trouble. How was your trouble? It's a trouble. It's hard. It's toil. Now, the second thing I want to say about uh, this little section is he says that he has to leave his toil to the man who comes after him. Now, what does that mean to leave your toil? Well, throughout this passage, he, he uses that word toil in different ways. Sometimes it means the actual labor that you're doing. And other times it means what you get from your labor. Uh, it's, it's both what you, your toil and the, what you toil for. It, it's both the work and, and what you get because of it. In other words, in our terms, we would think of it in terms of it's your work and it's your money, right? It's your work and it's the money you get from it. It's your wages. The problem is, is that he will leave that to someone who comes after him, but he doesn't know if that guy is wise or foolish. In, the, in other words, in the end, he still loses all control over what he was doing. And what he did. All your toil goes to someone else. Now why? Well, that comes up in verses 20 and 21. Look there now. He says that he turned about and gave up his heart to despair. Now we're going to come back to that in a second. So keep going. He did this because sometimes someone who has skill and wisdom and knowledge sees everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't work for it. And he says this is meaningless or vanity and a, and a great evil. Okay, here's what he's getting at. I know this is a newsflash. You are going to die. Okay? I I know that's new for many of us, but you are going to die. And when you do, all your work, all your great accomplishments, all of them will pass on to someone else. This he calls meaningless and a great evil. Now, why? I think we get a clue right there at the beginning, because he says, he, he turns about and gives up his heart. And when he says that, understanding what that means is, It's as if he's turned towards one thing and he realizes something and turns the other direction and gives up his heart to despair. Now, what does that mean? It means he's implying that before that point, he believed something different. There was something else that he actually believed before he turned about. To give up your heart to despair means to to disillusion yourself. Okay? So here's the nitty-gritty. At one point, this guy believed his work was going to do something for him. It was going to deliver something for him. It was going to give something to him. But then he found out it wouldn't. And when he discovered that, he became disillusioned. Most of us know what that's like, right? We get a new job, we're like, everything's going to be great. This new job is going to be perfect. It fits me perfectly. Everything's going to be like the promised land. Hallelujah. We get like two weeks in, we're like, ugh, my boss stinks. This work is 
awful. Why do I have to travel so much? You know, it's, it's like every, there's always these problems. It, it never delivers. And this is what this guy is learning. All of his toil, all of his work, all of his expertise and skill, all of his wise decisions and his good investments, all of his shrewd decisions didn't last for him. Because in the end, he's looking at going, I can't take them with me. He's going to die. Now, this seems like the biggest duh in the world, right? Because most of us have that phrase that's part of our, our, our kind of cultural idiom that you can't take it with you. Most of us believe this because we're automatically thinking that what he refers to is money when he talks about what he's toiling for. Right? Because that's, that's... Isn't that what we work for? Wait, we're working... Well, for some of us, we do. But what he's really talking about is what it is that you are toiling for. He's very specific. He doesn't say money. He's going to talk about that later. Here, he's talking about what it is that you are toiling for. And for some of us, that's money. But not all of us. We toil for lots of things. And many of us don't like the fact that it's not going to last. Now, some of us right now are like, what are you talking about, dude? Uh, let, me, let me give some context by talking about how the Bible addresses work. I know that a lot of us would like to think that work is like a result of the fall. Like, if there's anything wrong with the world, it's that we have to work. But that's not exactly how the Bible presents it, okay? According to the Bible, work was part of God's good intention for the world. He created everything, including us, and he created, he created us good. And he put us in the garden for two things, to be in relationship with him and to do work. Now, the order there is very important. I need you to keep that in mind, that he created us to be in relationship with him and to do work. Our work was to come out of our relationship with God. And while we stayed in loving, dependent relationship with God, our work was done with, with joy and purpose and freedom. It was good. When God declared all things good, he, he also included work in that. It was part of it. It was good. But things didn't last that way. See, humanity was tricked into believing a lie. That God wasn't worthy for us to depend on him. Maybe some of you in this room believe that right now. It's not that you don't understand that there is a God or that he's really powerful because most of us get that. He's a really powerful dude. But is he worthy to be depended on? That's a whole other deal. So we believe that he wasn't worthy to, be de- to, to depend upon and, and also that we could be like him. In other words, that we didn't need to be dependent on him. And when we believed that, we turned away from him. We betrayed him. Uh, What the Bible calls sin, okay? And when we did that, everything changed. Listen, you cannot overstate, in terms of the whole Bible, if I was to hold up this whole Bible, okay? You cannot overstate. I know most of us think this is a book of rules. It's really not. It's a story. And you cannot overstate how how everything changed at chapter 3 in the story. Everything was going great until chapter 3. And chapter 3 ruined everything. Like, Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. Suddenly our relationship with God was fractured because now we're guilty of betraying Him. And, and, and now we live out of that lie, that lie that we believe. Not only that we can be independent of God, that that's possible for us. Somehow we can have a life where we make ourselves exist. But that we must that we must be independent of him because he's not worthy of our dependence. And that is a state that we are now stuck in. 
Again, that is a state that the Bible calls sin. I know most of us grew up believing that sin is like bad stuff you do. The Bible says it is, it is that because of the state that we're in. It is, a, it, is a, it is who we are as humans. Born in, this is who we are. And because of who we are, we do these things. Not the other way around. It's not that we do these things and so then become this. No, no, we are this and so we do these things. And we can't get out of it ourselves. Now, what does that have to do with work? Namely this. Remember, remember the order. I said that work was to be done. At first, we were created for a relationship with God and then with work to do. That order was important. See, you and I know that something is wrong with the world. We know that there's something wrong with us. Every one of us does. And we may pretend we don't. We may find different ways of dealing with it. But we all believe this. But since we also believe the lie that we can be independent of God and that we must be, we think we can and we must be able to make it better ourselves. And so many of us think that we can do this through work. Now, that sounds strange. But the problem is that whatever we accomplish in our career, it cannot deal with what awaits us. It can't deal with death. And what makes this guy so angry, what makes him say that he hated his toil is that he looks down the passage of his life and he knows that it's not going to last. All of his hard work, all of his skill, all of his wisdom, he's like the top of the top of the top. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In the end, it will probably be left to someone who's going to just fritter it all away. So work fails to last. But it also fails to deliver. Look down at verse 22. Because this really gets to the hard things. He says this, When he says, um, what has a man, scholars will tell you that what he's saying is the same thing he said several times before when he says, what profit is it to a man? In other words, um, what do I get from it? What gain do I get? How is it going to deliver for me? And the answer that screams out is nothing. It can't deliver for you. What is it for you? Nothing. There's nothing. He's saying, I thought my work could deliver for me, and it couldn't. There's no real profit in it. You don't probably don't really believe me yet, though. So let me get specific. Remember I I said a minute ago that many of us believe we can and must make things better through our work? Here's what I meant. For many of us, what we toil for isn't money. Many of us toil for our identity. We want to make a name for ourselves through our work. I'm a successful businessman. I'm a good teacher. I'm the best in my field. I am the one who gets things done, right? Some of us love that little epithet. I am the one who can get it done. Work becomes the source of our identity. Now, for others, it's not identity, but it is where we look to to prove that we're right. You know what I mean by that? Um, That because of something that's been said about us, either with words or with actions, you know, things like, you're never going to amount to anything. Or, um, you're just really dumb. You're, you're kind of worthless. Why can't you be as good as your sister or your brother? Or maybe um, that you are actually the best. Right? Because of something that's been said about us, something we believe about ourselves, work becomes a way for us to justify our existence, to justify ourselves, to make ourselves right, to show that we're worthwhile. Now, for still others of us, work provides something else. It provides the place where we're in control. Because some of us can't do relationships, right? 
We don't do relationships at all. We get in a relationship with people who are like, this is crazy. People have emotions. I don't understand them. I can't figure them out, and I can't predict when they're going to happen. So I just don't like them. We, we struggle with dealing with life. But when we're at work, when we're at work, we feel safe. It's like our little fortress because I, I know if I have these numbers, I can make this happen. I plug this into my Excel spreadsheet, and this happens. You know, the equations that go into thermal whatever never changes. You know, the, the equations for how to make, make a profit doesn't necessarily ever change. And we think, I can do that. I can do that. We focus on what we can control. Now, here's the problem. The problem that you and I both know. There's no profit in any of it. It can't deliver. And you know this. Because you accomplish a project, how long is it before you're like, I got to do another one? You get that raise, you get that promotion, how long is it before you're like, I can't, I, I don't, I, I need to be better. I need to get the next one. Your identity is a successful worker, but how long is it until someone comes along to usurp your identity? Or quite frankly, until you have to retire and leave it all behind. Right? Right? You feel safe crunching your numbers or whatever, but how long until you can't hide behind them anymore? At some point, you have to clock out and go home, right? It doesn't deliver. You are always left with the sense that no matter how much you work, it is never enough. And that leads us to verse 23. Literally, it leads us right to verse 23, where he says this. All his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. I know that's not, uh, we don't, I know you don't go around thinking, like telling people, I'm really vexed today. Like, it means angry. (laughs) It means anger, frustration, exasperation, which is more than just anger. It's like you've reached the end of your rope, like, ah, I got nothing left. Even in the night, his heart doesn't rest. Sound familiar? Days of sorrow and exasperation. That's another way of saying that your days are full of anxiety. Full of anxiety. Can't sleep at night when you, and, and, and when you do, you wake up tired, right? Restless work. Where does that come from? Listen to me. Restless work comes when we are using work to deliver on our, on our problems. When we are using work to find our meaning. And that restlessness comes because work can never solve our problem. Our problem isn't solved by effort. More work because it wasn't produced by laziness. It wasn't produced because we just weren't working hard enough. Our problem was produced by sin. It was produced from a broken relationship with God. Remember the order. We were made to have relationship with God and do work. So as long as that relationship is broken, your restlessness will remain. If you are using work to create an identity, you will always be left wondering if you've done enough to secure it. If you're using work to justify yourself, to prove someone wrong, you will always wonder when you've done enough. Okay? Uh, pop culture reference. In, in, in Rocky, right? Some of you heard me use this before. In Rocky, um, Adrian comes to Sylvester Stallone. She says, Rocky, why is it so important that you have to go the distance? The Apollo Creed, right? And he says, because if I can go the distance, I'll prove that I'm not a bum. How far is the distance for you? How much do you have to work to prove that you're not a bum? 
If you are using work to keep you safe from your inadequacies, you will always wonder if you've done enough to hide them. This is, this is why the teacher says he turned about and let his heart fall to despair. This is why he says there's no profit. This is why he says utterly that ultimately all of this stuff is, is meaningless. It cannot deliver and it will not last. The good news for us this morning is that it was never meant to. It was never meant to. So let's look at the freedom to work really quick. Friends, what are you working for? What are you toiling for? What are you hoping it will deliver for you? And if you're like, dude, I'm just working to get money so I can go play. Okay, why? What are you toiling for? What are you hoping it will deliver for you? See, our problem, the reason why we're working ourselves to death, the reason why we're willing to sacrifice our families and our our spiritual lives and, and, and our own souls at the altar of work is because we think that we can overcome our brokenness through work, but we can't. We can't. We're getting things in the wrong order. We think if we work hard enough, maybe we can get back what we had in our relationship with God. Now, maybe none of us are even thinking about God. I'm not saying that you are. I'm saying necessarily there's something inherent in us that knows there's a problem, that knows that if we can just get back to this, whatever this is, I'm telling you that the this, what you were made for, is that relationship with God. The good news is that what work is powerless to do, God has done. Friends, that's why Jesus came. We've been brought up, many of us, to believe that Jesus um, came to just basically show us a different um, ethic to be, to, to perform. Like, here's another set of rules to keep. The ten that God gave in the Old Testament weren't enough, so now Jesus gave us some more, right? Have you ever tried to keep the ten, by, by the way? Like, that's enough, trust me. That's not why Jesus came. You and I can't live a life of dependence on God, a life of perfect love of God and neighbor. We can't do it. We are stuck believing the lie that we can and be independent of Him. But because we can't, in Jesus, God came and did. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't. That we couldn't. And I'm not saying like you couldn't. I'm saying we couldn't. None of us. So He lived it for us. But we are also guilty before him, of betraying him. And some of you are thinking, look, Rick, I have not been that bad. I don't really know what you're talking about. Maybe maybe not. Look, if the standard is your behavior, you're right. Some of you have been really good, really good, like way better than me. And I'm not good, so that's not saying much. But way better, right? But But the standard isn't behavior. The scriptures say that our, 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 our best works are like filthy rags, not because they're not good, Not because they're not good. Not because they don't look nice. But because they are done independently of him. And thus make our independence problem, the source of the whole problem to start with, worse. Our righteousness, our goodness is not filthy rags because it's not good. It's it's because it's independent. They may look really pretty. It may look really nice. But it's still done apart from him. Some of you are like, wait, wait a minute. Are you saying that I can't be good enough? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. You can't. But the good news is, is that Jesus is good enough for you. 
The good news is, is that Jesus died for you. He died for me. He died to bear the guilt that, that, that we have from our betrayal. Now, listen to me. What, what I'm saying is this. You and I don't need reforming. We don't need to just get our act together and be reformed. We don't need another program. We need a rescuer. We need a rescuer. What you and I tirelessly work for, we cannot get through our work, whether that work is professional work, whether it is relational work, whether for most of us in this room, it's probably spiritual work. If I just work enough for God, no, 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 no. You cannot get it. You cannot work your way back to God. You have to trust in His work instead of in yours. You have to trust in Jesus' work. Now, when you do, when you do, listen, when you do, work can return to what it was meant to be. It can return to the place. It, it was never meant to be ultimate, but it was meant to be good. And so it can, you can return it to where it was meant to be. The, listen, the problem is not work. The problem is sin. Work cannot create an identity for you. It cannot make you right, and it cannot make you safe. But when you've received an identity in Jesus... When Jesus has made you right and when your life is made eternally secure in him, you are free to work without needing anything from it. And that's really conceptual. Let me, let me get specific. Because for some of us in this room, the real question is, what kind of work should I be doing? Right? Whether we're in a job that we don't like and we want out or whether we're not quite there yet or whether we're still thinking about it or, or, or maybe, maybe we're past the age where we've retired from that career. Now what do we do? Right? So what should I be doing? If I'm not working to get money or power or justification or an identity, what should I be doing? That is a great question. And I wish I had time to fully kind of flesh out that, that idea. But listen close, and I'm going to try to give a couple of principles to ponder. Biblically, work is something that the Lord gives us to do according to the way in which we've been made to help others flourish. Did you get that? Let me say it again. Work is something that the Lord gives us to do according to how we've been made to help others flourish. So first, it's something from the Lord. In other words, um, what, what Christians end up calling it is vocation, right? It's your vocation. Now, in, in uh, times long ago, vocation was something reserved for, like, what I'm doing which is ridiculous, okay? And that was one of the things the reformers raged against. No, vocation is something that, that the Lord calls us to. He, work isn't, the Lord's work isn't just church work. When, when Becca read that passage and it said, your labors in the Lord are not in vain, it didn't mean the stuff you do in church. It meant your labor done in the Lord. Like Monday through Saturday labor done in the Lord, Okay? It is something that the, the, the Lord gives us to do. But it's also according to how we've been made. That is to say, you and I have been crafted with gifts and passions and, thing, and, and like deep-seated things that we love to do. Okay? And those will probably help you know where you should look to work. That isn't to say that like you're thinking to yourself, I have a passion to cruise the French Riviera. The Lord's got to give me something that's going to make... No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you have something in you that drives you, that passions and gifts that will help you to, to look where to work. But lastly, it is to help others flourish. In other words, your work is for the good of others. 
whether that good is sweeping a street or constructing the street or being the guy who governs the street. Right? Your work is to see others flourish. In other words, if your work exploits others, like if you're working at a payday loan place, okay, or is destructive to others and yourself, like the sex industry or Ponzi schemes, those are not things that Christians are to pursue because they are not what we were made for. We're not made to exploit. We're made to see others flourish. Others, okay? Now, much more can be said on that, like I said, but I do, I do have to conclude. Let me conclude with this. In 1991, uh, Madonna did an interview with Vanity Fair, kind of ironic, the name of the, the magazine, but did an interview with Vanity Fair, and in it she said this. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's something always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Listen, so long as you look to work to deliver your identity, to give you meaning, to answer what you know is wrong with you, whether that work is vocational or spiritual, right there is where you will always be, where I will always be. But if you turn to Christ, let him justify you, let him give you an identity, then friends, your work can be filled with the meaning that God intended it to. Would you pray with me? Lord, wherever we are this morning, and we're in many different places here in this room, we ask that you would meet us and be near to us. Lord, would you, would you give us a hunger that can only be satisfied in you? Would you help us to know that our restless hearts find their rest in you and in you alone? We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, because you did what we couldn't. You lived as we couldn't, you died as we dare not, so that if our faith is in you, we might be reconciled to God and all of life might be filled with a meaning that we didn't know was there before. Would you give us the grace to believe that again, whether it's for the first time today or whether it's for the, like the first time in the last five minutes. We need to trust the gospel again this morning. And so we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Listen, for those of us who are in Christ, the gospel has shaped us and it's made us for something more. And so one of the ways that we can live into the gospel week after week is responding to hearing God's word is confessing what we believe because we're forgetful people, aren't we? I am. And so confessing what we believe not only to each other, but to a watching world puts feet to what we say that we believe. It helps us live out the gospel. So if you'd stand with me, please, you'll find printed in your bulletin our confession of faith. This morning we confess what we believe using the historic Apostles' Creed. And so I ask Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. 
From there, he will come the judge, the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Though we've been rescued by Jesus, for those of us who've placed our faith in him, we still struggle with sin. And it doesn't take us long to realize that that struggle.